0: Thank y'all. If you'd turn with me to Romans chapter eight, please. We're gonna just take a few verses here and take some time to go through them. Um, I think Romans eight is probably one of my most favorite chapters, especially was when I uh, first got saved. And uh, you uh, get saved when you're 18 years old, and you picked up a lot of habits uh, that uh, you had when you weren't saved and wasn't raised in a house that went to church and stuff. and uh, You start going to church and the preacher starts preaching on certain topics and Satan tries to reach in there and say, so you're still doing that, so you are never even uh, got saved. Because uh, if Satan can get you defeated on that, if you never think you made it to first base, you don't worry about trying to grow in the Lord. And uh, the very end of the chapter here, well, first of all, when it talked about that the, earlier in the chapter where it talks about that the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I realized then when I really came to understand that verse, I never had a consciousness of sin before I got saved. Uh, I could uh, go and visit Lisa's family that were going to church and serving the Lord, and they knew how, and I knew how to talk in front of them. And I could go ten minutes later and be with a bunch of friends and tell some of the filthiest stories you ever heard. And I felt absolutely no contradiction. Uh, The only time I felt bad is if I messed up and used the wrong language at the wrong location. And then I was just embarrassed because my hypocrisy had been found out. But when I got saved, there was a consciousness that I was one of God's children now and there's a new way to behave. And when I didn't do it, I wasn't just angry that I got caught in my hypocrisy. I was upset because I had not honored my God and uh, tried to live a life that would be pleasing to him. And so the book of Romans and chapter 8 in particular was a real blessing to me uh, early in my Christian life. But we're going to look at some different verses here. We're going to start. Yeah, the light helps. Thank you. You know, as my dad, I can remember when when I was a teenager and my dad would be, need to put more and more light on a subject. And then sometimes he'd even ask us kids to get in here and we could just read it fine, you know. Well now I know what he means. You know, you know, as I get older I need more and more light on the subject. But let's look at uh, starting in verse twenty six of Romans chapter eight. And it says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spareth not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things who shall lay anything to the charge of god's elect it is god that justifieth who is he that condemneth it is christ that died yea rather is risen again who is even at the right hand of the god, of god who also maketh intercession for us as we go back and look at these verses here we're going to start off with verses 26 through 28. And in these, we're going to see two great privileges that are given to us as Christians that we can claim. And one of the privileges, the first one that we're going to look at, is the help of the Spirit in our prayers. And we see here that it starts off with telling us uh, the, uh, that our, about our weaknesses in prayer. And we see in verse 26... It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now, it could be that we don't pray appropriately, like James tells us um, in chapter 4 and verse 3, that we pray for things and ask for things so that we can consume them upon our own lust. In other words, I'd like to win the lottery. Why do you want to win the lottery? Well, maybe not because I want to do a lot of things at the Lord's house, but maybe I'd like to get to a position where I don't have to trust God anymore because I'll supposedly trust my bank account. You know, So there's a lot of things that we can pray for that are not in God's will for us. Um, But there's also a great opportunity here, I think, for us to realize that one of the biggest problems we have in our prayer life is lack of information. We don't see the future. We pray earnestly with the knowledge that we have available to us, but we can't see the future. And not knowing the future it can make our prayer life very short-sighted. We see a loved one, someone that we really care for, going through a hardship, and the first thing we do is, out of a heart of concern, start praying, God, would you relieve them of this? Whatever that burden would be. Maybe it's a need of a job. Maybe it's a health issue. um, You know, it could just be lots of different things. But we see a burden in someone that we care for, and we start praying, God, would you intercede in this? Would you help in this? Not necessarily knowing what God is trying to accomplish through it. Now, it doesn't make our prayer wrong. It just means that we don't know how to pray as we ought. And sometimes we're praying for things for ourselves. I would like a different job. I want to move into a different house. I'm thinking about buying a car, um, thinking about a different ministry we may want to go into. And we're praying about it, but we're not praying necessarily with a full amount of information. Um, It's been described as we want the fruit before it's ripe. We, We have an idea that this is what needs to be, and we're praying. I can remember real clearly a contract that me and my partner were bidding on, and we were pretty confident that if we didn't succeed in this contract, our company was going to unravel. And so we put a strong bid out, and then they messed up on the paperwork on their side, and they delayed getting the copies back to us for signature, and right before the contracts hit our desk where we were going to sign them, the economy went like it's going right now in the oil patch. And oil prices impact plastic prices. Thing is, we bid here. And if we had assigned the contracts a few weeks earlier, we would have been bankrupt. Because they could have held us to buying it here, and we would have been selling it here. And there was a lot of it. It's nothing like buying high and selling low. Uh, to uh, so armed with information that we had. Now the thing is, eventually they had to come back to us because they still needed to sell it and we were able to negotiate a proper contract for the new economy that we were in. But there's a lot of things that we're just not armed with enough information. And because of it, we need to realize that um, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But one thing I want you to notice with me here, is the Apostle Paul included himself in this number when he says in the statement, we know not how to pray. Now, if the great Apostle Paul can sit there and acknowledge that he don't know how he ought to pray, then it shouldn't shock us that we don't necessarily know how to pray either and that we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to help us. We see the... uh, the second part of the first blessing here is that we see the assistance of the Spirit gives. He, um, he helpeth our infirmities. And it's speaking especially of our infirmities in prayer. We look at the verse again. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, the Holy Spirit is described as one who draws up beside or one that undergirds us, and he's there to help. Well, if he's coming up alongside to help us in the area of our infirmities in prayer, we got to be praying before he can help. You know, he, he can intercede for us, and he'll come alongside to help, but guess what? He's not going to carry the whole load. Uh, there's, a, the, there's, an old, there's a saying that says that uh, we cannot without God, and he will not without us. And, and the thing is, what well, we've got to realize is the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us pray, to help us know how to pray, how to make intercession for us with the Father, it's taking for granted that we are praying, and let's look at some verses I'll read for us here, admonishing us to pray. It says, "Let me." It says in uh, First Chronicles chapter sixteen, verse eleven, "Seek the Lord in His strength; seek His face continually." In Matthew chapter seven and verse seven. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. In Matthew 26:41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always to pray and to not faint. In John chapter 16 and verse 24, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. We go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17, Pray without ceasing. We also see in in the scriptures that our prayers are very precious to our Lord. It sits there in in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odors, which are the prayers of the saints. In Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar, and having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So our prayers are very precious to God, and we're encouraged to be a prayerful people and to pray without ceasing. The, um, let me get to another part here, please the spirit is verse um, 26 it says the spirit itself maketh intercession for us now in verse 34 the passage that we read it tells us that christ intercedes for us in heaven and what we see is with that the spirit intercedes for us in our hearts it talks about that with groanings which cannot be under- uttered now there's some faiths that try to take this or teachings and try to take this and try to use it to talk about speaking in tongues. But if you look at it, it sits there and said, with groanings which cannot be uttered, you know, so it isn't like I've been in one church and a person jumped up and ba-ba-ba, ba-ba-ba, ba and then after that went on for some season, uh, another person jumped up and said some other stuff, and, but uh, that is not scriptural, and, and that is not what these scriptures are teaching us. But it, the thing is the scripture tells us in verse 27 that he searches the heart. Now, you know, if you live a saintly life like brother Nolan over here, you know, that that probably don't scare you too much. But the rest of us, I know with me at least, I give a little hesitation there when I realize that the Bible tells me that God's searching my heart. You know, my you know, the the old saying used to be that what I say is my philosophy, but what I do is my faith. You know, the two ought to be intertwined, but they're not always. And for the person who's not living a life, that's back, he's not backing up his life with the words that he speaks, needs to realize that God searches the heart. But we see here that God the Holy Spirit, as Jesus is faithful to make intercession with the Father in heaven on our behalf, that the Holy Spirit is faithful to express to the Father our heart. Even when we're at a point where we can't even focus our thoughts and our words adequately. We may be going through such a stressful situation and and we just can't really even grasp it all. It's maybe just something that's hit you right between the eyes, caught you off guard, uh, or just has been an accumulative effect. How many of you have ever gone through some of that where it just seems like this happened and then this happened and this and it goes on maybe for a long season and after a while you just feel burdened down with it and you can't even really encapsulate in your mind your own thoughts on the subject but God knows our heart God the Holy Spirit's ministry is to properly reveal our heart to our Heavenly Father Jesus Christ is there making intercession for us. And then God the Holy Spirit also speaks to our hearts. And and the things that he's talking to us about, he may bring us into conviction. He may sit there and God the Holy Spirit brings about in our heart conviction that there's some things we need to be doing better, some things we need to either set out of our lives or some things we need to add to our lives and he may deal with us in, a, in an area of conviction. He may enter in, in, a, in a voice of guidance and giving you direction in what choices you need to make. I guarantee you, though, that if he is influencing you in those areas, he's more than likely using his word to accomplish that. He's bringing to remembrance the word of God because those are the things we can claim. Those are the things we can latch on to and know that God can't lie. And if he's leading us into remembrance on, uh, in a certain passage of Scripture to give us direction in our life to help us make decisions or bringing about conviction, that's the part that God the Holy Spirit is probably going to bring back to us. Now let me ask you this. If we don't ever pick up our Bible and say God the Holy Spirit's purpose is to be a help, he's not there to make our life miserable. He's there to be a help. But if we don't pick up the Bible and we don't study the Word of God, are we not hindering the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives? Because He's going to use God's Word to encourage us. There are some great promises. In fact, we're going to look at one here in just a few minutes in Romans 8.28. And there are some great confidences that we can pull from God's Word. But if you don't know the Scripture, how can God bring it to your remembrance? So the denial of Bible study and prayer time hinders us, hinders God the Holy Spirit's purpose of trying to be a blessing to us. Now, it may be that he brings about conviction. It may be that he burdens our heart to take on a new ministry or to be there for somebody. I've known people that uh, you mention anything that has to do with children's ministry, and they're all for it. I've known other folks that had a real tender heart for ministries like the villas and stuff like that. I've known people that have had a real tender heart for the music ministry. And something comes up and God burdens her And so God uses us all in different areas and he burdens us for different areas of responsibility. But he also can also just bring on that peace that passes all understanding. When you're going through the fire and you can't, Really know the why. That's where the. Have you ever been there where you just, you know yourself and you know your personal makeup and you know you ought to be a basket case? You know, there's just enough stuff going on and there's enough uncertainty and you ought to just be crawling under the desk and sucking your thumb and and yet there's just a peace that passes all understanding. And that's our God ministering in our hearts. Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. God the Holy Spirit making intercession in our hearts, revealing our real heart's desire to our Heavenly Father and revealing back to us the guidance, the direction, the conviction, the comfort that can come from God, only from God. We see also the... um, The second part of this promise, and we do see that in verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, that little word, know, let me ask you this. What things have usually stressed you up the most? Is it the known problems or the it-might-be-problems? What had our whole church all worked up about Miss Bev? Might be cancer, might be this, might be that. It was the unknown, and what a great relief it was when we got the great report that it wasn't. You know, it's the unknown, but here's something that God makes a promise to us, that we can know that all things will work together for good. There's a comfort there if you'll latch on to it. And God the Holy Spirit will bring your heart back into remembrance of these things. He sits there, and isn't it amazing, right in a a passage where he's talking about, you really don't know how to pray like you really need to. But don't worry, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to make, uh, Jesus Christ is making intercession. I'm going to make intercession to God. I'm going to reveal your heart, your love for God, even if you're just so at a point that the only thing you can do is cry out, "Abba Father," by faith. That I know that I got to go to God with this. This is beyond me. I don't know how to I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know who I need to go to, but I don't even know how to gather my thoughts or phrase my words, but I can just go to and just say, "Abba Father," and and just know that God the Holy Spirit then knows my heart, reveals it to my Father. Phrases it just the perfect way. Who could better pray for us than God? God the Holy Spirit. And then he works in our heart to bring about that peace that passes all understanding. And then right on the end of that verse, in other words, there is so much uncertainty in your life. You don't even know how you ought to pray. But guess what? You can know that it's all going to work together for good. I mean, there is a comforting hand here in the Word of God from, from our Heavenly Father. But he also sits there and he says, um, it says, good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, like most, God's, most of God's promises, though, they're conditional. Almost all of God's promises are conditional. Like one of the conditions for me to be able to go to my Heavenly Father is what's got to happen first. I've got to be one of his kids to have access to the throne. So there's conditions. But we see here that it says, to them that love God. Now, Jesus sat there and said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. So you can have a little bit of a thermometer in your life as far as do you really love God or not as how much you resent or how much you embrace the commandments that you know have been revealed to you and made personal to you and you realize these are, these are the, the footprints that God would have me walk in. These are the things that God has revealed to me as truths in my life. It could be tithing. It could be church attendance, Bible study, prayer time, witnessing. The list goes on and on. And uh, so we know that if we love God, and we can know that probably by checking some of the benchmarks in our lives about what do we really care about God's commandments in our life. And then it talks about to them who, in the same verse, to, to them that are called according to his purpose, but to them who are called. When God calls, do we come running? You know, something to think about. You know, how, how are we, how, what's our motivation when we hear the word of God calling us into something? Either convicting us about something, burden us to take on a new ministry, burden us to do different things. Whatever that is, how do we respond to God's call? Because to get everything to work together for good, we've got to love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's conditional. It's not terrible conditions because God wants nothing but good for us. But we also see that the first thing he's going to call us to is salvation. The first thing God's call is, is for us to receive his son Jesus as our savior. To realize that Jesus Christ went to the cross, lived a perfect, sinless life. The only man who could have looked up to heaven and said, God, I want to come home and would have qualified because he was sinless. But because he was sinless, he could also be our substitute on the cross of Calvary, and God punished Jesus instead of punishing us. And because of that, every person that's ever lived sin has been paid for. The trouble is, so many souls are going to be in hell because they rejected the free gift of salvation. And that's going to be the great tragedy of hell, is that people are going to sit there... And over and over and over, why did I not say yes? But that, the thing is, it's unbelief that sends a soul to hell. The sin debt's been paid for, but they've got to receive that free gift of salvation, and they've got to put their trust in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them. So that's the first thing he calls. That's his purpose. The first purpose is that he wants to draw us into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And then he calls us to Sanctification. He calls us to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, that change that comes about, like I shared with you before, when the first thing God had to do with me was clean up my language. Uh, he had to go to work on me on that because I'd picked up 18 years of bad habits and things would slip out and God went to work on me. And them church attendants was right, well, right off the bat. There was just a love for God's people and God's house. But... God has to go to work, and that's our sanctification. That is starting to change us into the image of His Son, conforming us to the image of His Son. Now, the thing is, we sit there and we realize that Jesus was God in the flesh. He's not only the Son of God, but He's God the Son, and He's our perfect pattern. You look at His gentleness, you look at His long-suffering, you look at His service... His willingness to always want to please the Father. He was the perfect pattern for us to model our lives by. And then you um, we're supposed to do this, this ability to uh, try to allow God to conform us to His image because it's to the glory of our Savior. It's a commandment, and we're supposed to be modeling our lives after our Lord. But we have to realize that we can't do it without his help. You know, God saved you just as you were, and you weren't able to do anything about it but trust his free gift of salvation. And then as you get knowledge in the word of God, you have to realize you finally have the ability to say no to Satan. You finally have the ability to say no to sin. But you have to incorporate the gifts that God's got, the grace that God extends to us, and ask for the helps to get the victory over these different things in our lives that were there before we got saved and the temptations that come our way after we get saved. The only way we're going to overcome it is by dependency on the grace of God in our life. But we do it because God's desire, he sits there and says, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, let me ask you this. The vestiges of the old man, that language that I had when I first got saved. What's the likelihood that if I continue to use that language, I would be very effective in seeing anyone come to the saving knowledge of Christ? Wouldn't people brand me as a hypocrite? I mean, if I I kept hanging on to the vestiges of the old man, then I wouldn't be effective. And God's desire... He sits there and says that that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's desire is that everyone would get saved, that everyone would embrace the free gift of salvation. And our best chance to be helpful in that ministry is to allow God to conform us to the image of his son. We have to submit to it and allow God to work through us so that he gets all the honor and the glory. then we see also as we work through here that um, in verse 30, it talks about the them he also justified. You know, those that he calls into salvation, it's like we go through a tribunal. We're brought into the justice of God. And the thing is, the Bible tells us that... uh, in Romans 4 and verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The slate was wiped clean. And, uh, and so the thing is, I'm found not guilty because the blood of Christ has washed away all my sins. Amen. And so I am justified. And because of that, it's, it's a one-time thing. It's took care of all my sins. We're in, when Christ died on the cross, all of my sins were pa- or present. You know, in the future, and all my sins were on the Lord. They were all paid for. I'll never give an account for sin as far as being a child of God. I'll give an account to my heavenly Father on my attitude toward his commandments and things like that. He'll tune me up, as Brother John likes to say, and he's been faithful to do it, too. And any child of his has been tuned up occasionally. And he'll continue to tune you up, trying to conform you to the image of his son. Uh, If you're a true child, he loves you too much to let you go into the world and behave. But then it also tells us, uh, in the same verse, them he also glorified. Think about that with me. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know, just think about what God has done. And the thing is, our our home in heaven is certain because our glorification is already done it's already talked about in the present tense it's happened it you know it we're already he says there in the verse them he also glorified it's already happened your home in heaven is assured you ought to be able to walk through this life with a great confidence that your god is on his throne you're one of his kids And you've got Jesus Christ at the throne making intercession for you. You've got God, the Holy Spirit, to enlighten you in the Word of God and to guide and direct you and to make intercession for you to the Father even when you don't know how to pray. And then the thing is that we need to look at also in verse 33. It sits there and it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. It's too late to bring any charges. It's just too late to bring any charges. God's already justified us. Now, who's going to overrule him? And the thing is, he promises that he cannot lie. And he has already justified us if we've accepted his son as our Savior. He's already glorified us. And he's given us great and precious promises in his word that we can lean on and depend on. But I challenge us to always remember that when God calls, come. Let him work on us as he wants to so that we can be more fruitful. Because there's a lost and a dying world out there that needs the gospel. And we just can't deliver it if we're given an unclear message. Because like we've heard said many a times, you know, well, like I said, what we say is our philosophy, but what we do is our faith. And our behavior says so much more. It says more in the home. Your kids know the real you. Your grandkids know the real you. Your neighbors eventually will listen and hear the arguments, and they'll know the real you. And, you know, the thing is, we need to allow God to be conforming us to the image of His Son, to Jesus Christ's glory, to our benefit and so that lost souls will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. I want to thank you all for your attention tonight. Brother Dennis, how about closing us in a word of prayer?